what I have this evening. If you'll turn in your Bibles over to 1 Peter chapter 2. I just, I want to do something a little bit different than I normally do. I, I'm, I'm still going to continue in on some Sunday nights here in the next few weeks about who are we. Talking about a healthy church. What, what, do you, what is an unhealthy church and what is a healthy church and why we do what we do. And um, I think with just opening up here, instead of working through a passage of Scripture, we have just a few moments uh, left. Uh, I, I, want, I want to interact. I want you to put your thinking caps on with me, with, with, with me and, and think through uh, some things here this evening. I actually have an article that I, I want to read. Now, you know, if you are part of this church, you know Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, we work expeditionally through the Scripture. We work the text of the Bible, and we see what God's Word has. Very rarely do we, that have we really veered off of, of, um, of a topic on a Wednesday night when we do some, or, or Sunday night and do something a little bit different. I wouldn't do what I'm doing here on a Sunday morning. But I think this is the cream of the crop, the core. I think this is the core of our church. And you can think through, when we're thinking about a healthy church, I think it's also good for our young people to think through where we are as well. And sometimes we need to interact with the culture. Sometimes we need to see what's going on in some other churches. Why we don't do it that way. And why do we believe what we believe? Why do we have services like we do? And it's good for us sometimes to see what's going on. Some of you that travel around, you go on vacation and you go to another church. Maybe that's, that's different. Maybe you've been um, a part of, of a church that would function differently than the way we function. Why is that? Why are we the way we are? In 1 Peter chapter 2, let me just read a few verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is good. And I have written in my Bible here Psalm 34 and verse 8. So taste and see that the Lord is good. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable, that's pleasing, to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. And that him is Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of this church. And it is through his holy word that we learn about Jesus and we grow in Christ as well. Now, I want to read a portion of an article that I read a few years ago by a pastor named Randy White. Now, I, just a little bit of a bio. Randy White was, has, has been a pastor for many, many years in the Southern Baptist Convention. He has pastored several Southern Baptist churches throughout Texas, a prominent author and podcaster and radio. He had a prominent um, a radio program and a preacher and teacher. And in the last seven, eight, nine years, he's been, ha he's been making a journey. And one of the articles that I came across when I was thinking about a healthy church, and I had several books um, in my office that I could have brought up here and just showed you some, some things that I've been, uh, had, had been studying and thinking about. Well, what is, why are our churches, 
What's the, the issue in conservative churches, independent Baptist churches, and, and what is going on with our next generation? And he wrote an article and said, Why I am leaving the church growth movement. And he writes this. Let me, let me just read some things and, and, and think with me, please. And then I've got some comments at the end that I'm going to share. Now, um, I, I had to work through this. And I don't mean this. I'm not going to offend anybody. I may offend somebody. But I don't mean to offend anybody. And I'm not necessarily endorsing every single thing that he says. However, I do want to interact with it. Church growth is all the rage. For pastors, the focus is on leadership. For laymen, it's on reaching people. In the church world, church growth is the standard of success. If a church is quote-unquote reaches people and the pastor is quote-unquote a visionary leader, then the church will be considered a success. If a church makes it into somebody's bogus quote-unquote fastest-growing church list, then the growth frenzy continues with the sheep flocking to check out what innovation has been initiated to reach the masses for Christ. He says, I personally think the emperor has no clothes. He said, I reject the church growth and the church health principles taught at almost every pastor's conference and expressed in almost every church that he's been associated with for 30 years. Now remember, he's coming from the Southern Baptist Convention. He said, first of all, I refuse to believe that a Christian community will save anyone. Community is the big word today, along with missional. And if you claim to be a missional community, you are really on the cutting edge. Churches work hard to design community. They do it through small groups centered around felt needs and gather in living rooms across the country. These community groups gather for the bigger community in a weekly celebration of magnificence. This weekly celebration has, carefully, has been carefully scripted with the ridiculously silly and manipulative countdown screams before the services, to the last triumphal note of the victory at which the community members are sent out to reach a Christian society by building community within their own neighborhoods. These community group gathers for Bible studies, which almost always is a double misnomer. The only scripture used will be out of context references that came from the latest book by the latest Hollywood look celebrity pastor who gathered his thoughts probably from the internet and allowed a nameless editor to work them into something profitable. The group will neither study the passage nor the book itself. They will simply read a chapter before they come, spend 45 minutes talking about the parts they liked, share how the chapter made them feel about themselves as well as any insights gained then go away and tell their friends about how marvelous their Bible study was. I know this is online, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but I'm, I'm just sharing some thoughts. It reminds me of when my dad told me that we were having cubes, uh, uh, tube steak for dinner. I was somewhat disappointed when I found out that he, it was just a lofty-sounding word for hot dogs. Today, much of the Bible study in these missional communities is evidently tube steak. Following Bible study, the groups engage in fellowship time when they go their own way as biblically empty as when they had arrived. Soon they will gather for a missions project in which they will repair a home. 
If not a home or the repair project, it may be picking up trash for the city or painting a dilapidated school or providing shoes for shoeless children. The sermon will often be aimed towards raising up an army of Christians who will adopt an orphan, visit the imprisoned, and blog for social justice. If I believe that these missions projects were as successful as the church website claims, which they say we had an awesome God thing happen at our last gathering, I don't think it has any lasting impact. The church today is filled with those who are both in the world and of the world. The success rate of the megachurch missional church movement has been an utter failure. Society is more liberal, more godless than it ever has been before. With no end to its decline in sight, the mega missional church will gather in its multi-campus celebrations this weekend and slobber over themselves for their victories, even while these same churches have been totally impotent to bring any societal change. Building missional communities does nothing more than produce a feel-good complacency to the community members. They fool themselves into thinking the emperor's clothes are superb. Have you noticed that I haven't mentioned anything about proclaiming the word? The spread of the gospel of Jesus? That's because there's not much to mention from the church today. The church today does good works, has good music to those who hear it, or what they feel like, has a really good sound system and a pastor who could lead circles around Moses himself. And what it does have is a backbone to proclaim that our world must reject humanism. So what it doesn't have is a backbone to proclaim that our world has rejected humanism, social justice, poverty, eradication efforts, and other whitewashed measures of expanding, quote-unquote, the kingdom of God and must find its only hope in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll say something in a moment about that paragraph. The second reason is I reject all manipulation and aim toward, and I aim towards persuasion. One of the reasons that I'm leaving, he says here, the missional community church growth movement is because I reject manipulation of all kinds. In fact, more than ever before, it disgusts me. Now, we talked about this a few months back. The modern church is so built on manipulation that I'm convinced it couldn't do without it. I recently, he's given us illustration, I recently attended a small Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church as a guest, and I was refreshed to see that almost every participant in the church had a Bible, had it opened, and was paying attention during the service. This told me that the pastor regularly delivers enough verse-by-verse content that the people in the church actually need one. It was necessary. Something also impressed me about the music. He says here, it was bad. And that actually impressed me. There wasn't a carefully selected praise team who passed the Sunday morning test of looks and sounds and dressed in color-coordinated clothing, closing their eyes and looking up to heaven as if they were in an ecstatic moment. In fact, the song leader was clearly not a professional. However, ours is. And his tone was often off just a little bit, but the people sang with such joy. I was impressed, not with just the music, but the prayers. They prayed for real. They had legitimate needs. 
It would have never passed the church growth test because it wasn't seeker-friendly to all the visitors. I actually felt out of place as a guest while they prayed. I thought it was wonderful. I wanted, that, I, I wanted one that really cared about the hurting needs of the people, the flesh and blood people who sat in their pews and to hear people pray for others by name. Most churches are not like this. In fact, most churches, I wonder if they would even be able to continue in their worship if the electricity went out. The service is so dependent on mood lighting and electric instruments and sound amplifications and video enhancement that it would fall flat in a New York minute with no power. In my church, thankfully, if the electricity went out, we, would, we wouldn't give it another glance. We would keep on singing, keep on preaching. If the church is dependent in their issue of worship, the modern church loses its electricity, we would see quickly how vast and empty the churches really are. Rejecting manipulation. I won't do a countdown video before the service. It simply enhances the idea of the fact that there's a show getting ready to start. I refuse to only allow the A-team to perform. I don't have to have soft music playing while I preach or while I pray. I don't want smart lights that set mood and changeable at the push of a button or fit the tone of a selected song. I don't want manipulation of my audience in some kind of feeling that invokes some kind of action. Doing so, sadly, too easy because our generation loves the tickling of their own ears. He says, what I want to do is persuade. I want to stand before the congregation with a persuasive argument from the text of Scripture. As a lawyer before a jury, I want to present a watertight case that will change the thinking of those who have come to hear biblical truth. I realize that I do this in a day in which feeling trumps thinking, and so my kind of persuasive uh, preaching will often be rejected. Persuasive preaching doesn't have enough stories and illustrations, and you can do it slap on the back. And I think he says here, and I'll just show this here and we'll be finished. He says, I refuse to let my congregation be deceived by good feelings. Many of them come into the church for good feelings. He said, I will lose the church growth potential because I won't allow good feeling production to trump reality. Do my church members know their Bible? Can they give a defense of the attack against it? Can they rightly divide the word of truth? Do they have a biblical worldview that understands creation, eschatology, salvation, grace, and so much more? Have I developed a congregation that could and would stick with a, through, a, a thorough, months-long study of the book of Numbers or Leviticus? If I have not developed this kind of biblical hunger, then I've just allowed them to be deceived by thinking that they had a Bible study, experience worship, and go away better. Since I will stand before God someday to be judged for reality, not feelings, I will be satisfied to spend my time and energy developing biblically literate congregants. He says here, I also reject the church growth program as an organization of which I am the CEO. The CEO model of the pastor has to go. 
I know that almost every missional community church growth model pastors conference says the same thing. Continually reminding pastors that they are not CEOs. Then having given the, re, uh, the rejection of the CEO lifestyle of, of leadership. They tell the pastors that he should be known as the lead pastor. Lead is short for the key of CEO traits. They study the Bible not looking for biblical truth, but looking for leadership traits from Moses, who he says is one of the worst leaders in the Old Testament. Gideon, who had zero leadership capability. Nehemiah, who was one, who is not a priest nor a pastor, but actually a government official. These pastor conferences talk a lot about programs and paradigms and churches that should and could implement to develop its missional community. Of course, as soon as you create any kind of ministry into a program, it teaches some oversight which you know, requires the pastor to leave his a pastoral function and begin acting like a conference book instructor, uh, him to act like a CEO. So let me, let me make some comments. We have a few minutes left here. There is nothing wrong with the term missional. This just means you have a mission mindset. The problem is, does the mission mindset follow God's word? Or what the culture expects us to do to reach people? Does that mission mindset involve persuading people with the truth that they are sinners in need of a savior and that following God means taking up their cross in a tolerant, driven, easy believism and a soft Christian world? The term missional is used in a different way because there's a different philosophy behind it. We also must be careful in our understanding of what a community is versus what a church is. A church is never in Scripture commanded to be a community. A community is defined by a social group in a specific location. The church is not a social group. The church is the body of Christ, the building of lives, a group of called out ones who are to impact their community in what they belong socially as citizens of a community, but they are members of the body of Christ. They are called out of the community to make an impact in their community. The Amish, Mennonites, Mormons, and I believe even the church growth movement have created a community inside the church and redefined what the church is as a social gathering of people. This social, social, social gathering drives their meetings. That's why there's a coffee shop feel in the Bible clubs and even their services are much more casual and social club-like. I'm not saying that every time the church meets together, even in, um, in, in that we don't have a social aspect, there's not a fellowship. We cannot have a picnic and a fellowship and a Bible study. But that is the byproduct of the main thing of who we are, members of Christ's body. I also believe that you and I will agree on the issue of manipulation and persuasion. There is a difference in persuasion and manipulation. Manipulation means that you set everything up to con people into acting or feeling a certain way. Persuasion means you use a good argument, a set of beliefs, and you can uh, convince a person from the Bible truth that they must follow it. 
And what I do here in this church is I want to persuade you every time I stand up with the Word of God, I want to persuade you that God's Word is true and we must obey it. So I'm attempting to, 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 to persuade you that the Bible is right in these matters and demands this response from your life. So here's, here's some of my conclusions on why our churches in America are in the situation they're in. Why are good Bible-believing churches seem to be struggling and dying out? Um, you know, we would see our church as, I would consider our church a a, a church that is growing and healthy and, and God is working. And anywhere God is working, the devil is working. But the condition of a lot of churches around the United States that believe what we believe are struggling and shrinking. Let me mention this. Our young people or our new generation are looking for acceptance in a community who will not judge them by their actions and desires for the world, but who will tolerate their weaknesses and pleasures and ethical decisions, who will not require much participation or even any evangelistic work at all, who will ease their religious guilt and shame, who will create an environment for them to feel good about themselves, and who will satisfy the communal obligation they feel to the society as a whole. I believe that is what the, the next generation or two has has been part of my generation is looking for in many of the churches i pray that's not what our young people are looking for and that we train them i I can probably bring some of the blame back on us and i just make um, a, a judgment here or at least a comment and you may think differently but this is just my judgment growing up in a conservative independent fundamental baptist home and churches over my lifetime why is it that so many are leaving the church? And I think maybe we, we could put the blame back on us where the past has created a, a community as we focus too much on issues, dominant personalities, and have by default, maybe not on purpose, but by default created a behavioral Christianity. Let me, let me mention, issue-oriented does not mean that the issues were not worth talking about, but were they worth dying for? Dominant personalities in that we sought the opinions and personalities of certain men for the reason we did or didn't do things and not the Bible. And we've got to be careful that we don't become men worshipers. I think sometimes in our independent fundamental Baptist movement, we, we worshiped men. And we just did it because he told us to. Not because we had Bible answers to that. And then can I say this behavioral Christianity in the fact that we focused on the outward actions of our children and the members and neglected the heart. We were okay as long as our kids did not drink, do drugs, misbehave, went to church, attended a Christian school, went to the youth group and became good moral people. That was enough. The problem was that our goal in the church of raising a new generation that acted right and did the right things and did not do the wrong things, this created a community of good works and a, and a relationship with God was based on what I did or I didn't do, not on a genuine knowledge and heart for God. 
We taught a community environment by default, not on purpose, in our churches. Not a genuine relationship with God. To know God and to live for Him. So, what is the action for us? First of all, we must be careful in our understanding of the church. Don't allow the culture to define who we are. Don't go out to the world and ask what they want the church to be. Let's go to God's word and say, what is the church supposed to be? And let's keep it at that. Number two, we must seek to teach the next generation that although behavior is important, what is most important is our heart and our relationship with God. And when God gets a hold of our heart, our behavior changes. But not merely just putting a set of rules to make sure that we do or do not. We must not simply be pleased when our children act right in public so it doesn't embarrass us, but that God has their heart and their will, and we point that out in their lives, and God has our hearts and our will. We're not just living on a list. And then last here, we must understand our culture and be able to see the pitfalls of the faulty philosophy of many of the churches today. So as to properly encourage our young people to see that the church and what we do with our music. How it's not about feelings. How many of the programs offered, they may be good and may bring in a lot of people. But what is the purpose? That we are to seek the word of God and grow through the gospel and pursue the person of Christ. Which means that it's going to mean that we are in the world, but not of the world. And that's harder said, um, um, or easier said than done. Father, I pray as we close tonight. I, I know I gave a lot, a lot of information, a lot of things to think about, but Lord, I pray that my heart through this would, would be understood. I don't mean to criticize any of these other ministries that may potentially... Um, be given the gospel in a way to offend anyone. Um, but Lord, I do feel that what we, what we stand for and what has been stood for in this church for 60-something years is, is a, is a back-to-the-Bible approach to what we are doing. And Lord, when many of, of the gatherings that happen today all throughout Huntsville and our state and around the world there's just a bunch of people, how they can fill stadiums if they just got the right praise team and the right encouraging words and the right program and the right um, you know, communal um, project to go on that people can get behind and, and the next big thing that it's done. And, um, Lord, our, we can't compete. Uh, the church has never been able to compete with the masses because broad is the way. People are by nature want to hear what they want to hear, not thus saith the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help us in our church that we would seek to, to allow the word of God to impact what we do. There's nothing wrong with Bible studies. There's nothing wrong with fellowships and picnics and things that we do, even our hospitality nights, to be able to enjoy those. But do, do those things begin to to change and redefine who we are? And is it making any, any societal difference in our world today because of some of those changes that are happening in the majority of churches in our area? Uh, our world is more wicked 
dark. Not because there are more church, uh, uh, less churches. There are actually more churches in this, in this city than there ever have been. But because the gospel is, is um, so hidden from many of them and the truth of God's word and a desire actually to sit and soak in uh, the Bible and let it impact our heart and life and then go out and be changed because of it. Uh, Lord, uh, will we follow you and pursue you? Would we always carefully filter things through God's word? And um, Lord, would we, would we be thinking about some of these things in the days ahead? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you for being here this evening.